This is a Federal News Network podcast. In the relatively brief 21 years since its inception, the Transportation Security Administration has gone through a lot of change. Everything from its uniforms to its screening technology has been thought and rethought. Now TSA has expanded its museum to commemorate all of this. For details, Federal News Network's Eric White spoke to TSA's historian, Heather Farley. So we created Mission Hall, which is a uh, an on-site exhibit celebrating our history and heritage of the creation of the Transportation Security Administration at our new headquarters facility. We moved into our new facility in 2020, and we knew right away that the exhibit was one of the most popular features. So we were really excited to look for opportunities to share it as widely as we could, since we knew not everyone would be able to make it to our headquarters in Springfield, Virginia. And what does the Mission Hall itself contain? Uh, I know that it's a historical commemoration, but can you just tell me a couple of the exhibits that are there? Yeah, Mission Hall is an exhibit entitled Remembering the Past, Informing the Future. And it's our flagship display and central to our headquarters facility. It really tells the history of our agency. It includes major milestones, accomplishments, and achievements. And it allows us to introduce our workforce um, to any of our visitors. So we're really excited to share it as widely as we can. What are a couple of those milestones uh, off the top of your head? I'm going to I'm going to hold your feet to the fire. <laughs> yeah. So we start off with some early um, threats to aviation to kind of set the scene for what was happening, the history of aviation security. Um, and then we have a memorial to September 11th, which is really the foundational event for TSA. It's why we were created. So we have a memorial to September 11th. And um, one of our first critical milestones is our anniversary when we were signed into law and created, and that's November 19th of 2001. So we start there and really talk to how the agency was built from the ground up. Um, It was the largest mobilization of the federal government since World War II. We hired 60,000 people in that first year and worked to federalize um, all of the airports across our nation in our first year of existence. So we're really proud of those achievements. And how did the, I I know that you talked a little bit about it, but how did the uh, virtual tour come about? Obviously, you said you wanted to uh, open it up to as many people as possible, but can you talk a little bit about that idea and what, what was needed to make that happen? Yeah, for the virtual exhibit, because we wanted to be able to share our physical exhibit as widely as possible. We knew we wanted something with a really big impact, and that naturally led us to kind of look at digital versions so that anyone with internet or a mobile device would be able to have that same experience of our exhibit. And I'm curious about these uh, exhibitions, uh, remembering the past for an agency only, you know, a little bit older than two decades. uh, What does the past in TSA look like? The past in TSA is so foundational for us because we were built out of a really significant world event, the events of September 11th, and those are really critical to how we look at and meet our mission every day. So it's really valuable for us to look back and understand why we were created and to remember that our our main goal is protecting the transportation system and preventing another attack. And uh, while it's been 20 years, we've had a lot of growth and a lot of evolution over those 20 years. And we want to celebrate those milestones that people understand the successes that we've had in meeting our mission each and every day. And informing the future, what is the main message from that exhibition? 
Yeah, so history is really so valuable and it allows us to understand our achievements and where we've been. And we use that knowledge to be um, an incredible tool for planning our future. So we learn from all of our experiences and we apply those moving forward. We're really uh, such an agile uh, agency and we use that uh, to be successful in our daily mission. I'm curious. Yeah, a lot of agencies use these museums to themselves as a, I guess, rallying cry for new uh, members. Uh, What does TSA do to utilize the Mission Hall itself? It's very exciting for us to use Virtual Mission Hall because it has widened our audience. Uh, We've been able to do virtual tours where we host people and give orientations to our new staff members who might not even know why TSA was created. So we have been able to do a really valuable introductions and let people know about why we were created, why our mission is so important, and how that has an impact on how we do our work each and every day. Yeah, I was wondering because I, I was like, you know, obviously they're not flying every new TSA agent to Springfield, Virginia. Uh, so is this now part of a standard requirement for new TSA agents in their training and onboarding? Yes, we've been um, working with our our vast workforce. We have over 60,000 members. Um, you're, you're absolutely right. Not everyone is at Springfield, Virginia. And this has created this really uh, interactive virtual platform that allows everyone to get an orientation and a historical overview of our major milestones and our historic achievements. Also, some of our, our workforce members. We have a really diverse workforce in the skill set that we have and what everyone is doing across the agency. Um, Most people think of us as an aviation security agency, but we're actually doing transportation security across all different areas of responsibility. So it's been incredibly valuable to introduce our workforce to other colleagues and to give them the same training and history so that everyone understands where we came from and has that um, appreciation for the history of our agency. If you don't mind, I'd like to put the focus a little bit on you for a second, uh, just because it's such a niche and interesting job. Can you tell me a little bit about your background and how you got here? Yeah, so um, I'm a historian. I started out in the museum fields. When I first moved to the Washington, D.C. area, I worked at the Smithsonian Institution, and I've just organically moved throughout the field as I've been curious about different areas of history. And I've really found my passion in federal agency history, where we're celebrating the responsibilities and the work cultures of these very specific agencies and the mission sets that they have. And so it's been very valuable to work at TSA that has such a focused mission and really uh, celebrates the workforce culture of the agency. Only, you know, 21 years, uh, you know, some may say that's not much history. How, you know, how, what can a historian look into? Uh, what, what was your, I guess, main focus point when looking into the TSA's history? This has been such a unique and powerful opportunity as a historian. Um, We're so lucky that most of the people who stood up the agency and participated in how we were created are still around. And so we've been able to do really uh, impactful oral history interviews. We've been able to reach out to people to understand how decisions were made and how policies were put into place. And that's actually quite rare for a historian. Usually you're researching things that are 50, 60, 100, several hundred years old. 
and you're really reliant on records that were kept. And here we can really tap into that institutional history of the people and work with uh, so many of our members that are still at TSA. That has also been so rewarding Um, across our workforce. We have a huge number of people who have been here since TSA was stood up. And it's really uh, an important time to capture their experiences and their uh, historical achievements. So it's really been very rewarding for me as a historian because it's one of the first times that I've been able to work with such a wide array of original sources. All right, now you've done it. I'm going to ask you to name drop a few <laughs> anybody that we've heard of that you've uh, interviewed for the history of TSA. No, I'll have to get back to you on that. Um, I, I won't name drop anyone specifically, um, but I will say that we did a really wonderful film series, and it's included in this virtual tour. Uh, we did a 20th anniversary oral history series where we talked to the first members of our workforce who were ever hired. They're lawyers, they're people who came on board that were transferred from other agencies, and the first members of our mobile screening force, which are the people who federalized the airports from the ground up in that first year of our TSA being managing transportation security. And um, we created a film series of shorts, each with a thematic element. And so we have these interviews really talking to the evolution of technology. We rely so heavily on technology, what it was like that first year. And those are available right in the tour. So if you want to learn more, you can click on any of our interactive screens and um, watch our video series to learn more about uh, what our workforce does and what their experiences were like. I just really would love to say that the virtual tour is really geared towards our virtual visitors. So it's very intuitive in how it's been built and it was created to be self-paced. So if you just want to walk through and see what our beautiful facility looks like, you can spend a few minutes. And if you have more time to invest, you can watch all of the videos that we've embedded. Um, We have a, a beautifully written exhibit catalog that includes very detailed history and artifact images. So you can really invest as much time as you'd like to, depending on what your interest is. So I just want to have one last plug for the really detail uh, level of historic information that we've included in this tour for the public. Heather Farley is historian of the Transportation Security Administration, speaking with Federal News Network's Eric White. We'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Take the Federal Drive on your travels. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Leadership today especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. Sean Ferguson, Senior Vice President of Government Relations and Chief of Staff to the Office of the Chairman at the Special Olympics, joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss the importance of leadership, inclusion, and community building. To learn more about how you can get involved with the Special Olympics in your community, visit specialolympics.org slash get-involved. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. What are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned working with that community? Oh, uh, yeah, almost, uh, Shane, it's almost immeasurable. The things I've learned since I've been with Special Olympics. I um, One of the things that drew me to Special Olympics uh, when I made the move over from, from the NFL 
uh, was that my mother, my grandmother, my aunt all took care of, of people with intellectual disabilities and, and, and physical disabilities as well. So all of my life, I was uh, interacting and around um, usually, usually young people, but also adults with disabilities. And so I, I knew that I knew that work a bit, you know, they, they basically were in direct care. And, and I will say, and on, a, obviously we'll say about my, my family, my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, they're saints. Uh, but uh, the, the men and women that do take care of people with uh, profound disabilities are, are really, um, you know, we, we can't do enough to salute them. Um, they're, they're really heroes. And, um, so I was, I was drawn when I, I, and I just saw that, you know, Special Olympics was looking for someone. And I thought, well, you know, I'll take a look at it and see, see, you know, throw, uh, send in my information. And lo and behold, I, I, I get hired and, um, I learn, uh, every day almost something from, especially from our athletes. Uh, we're blessed to have a number of athletes that work here in our office in Washington, D.C. And, you know, uh, Terrell, who, who works in, in our mailroom, who comes by with packages and deliveries. Uh, if you're having a day that's, you know, getting away from you and you, you <laughs> coffee hasn't kicked in, but Terrell comes by, always happy, always enthused, uh, has a, has a good story. Like it can just turn a day around for you. And, and, and you think of, I, I, you know, so often when he'll walk away, I'll be like, you know, whatever was bothering me or whatever is, you know, stressing me out and come on, you know, like, look at, look at Terrell, like he, he, he faces everything with optimism. And, and, and I've seen that also in our going to competitions in throughout the United States and globally, you see people who have had everything stacked against them. You know, their parents, when they were born, were often told this is a tragedy and you should, you should, you know, send your, this child away. Don't, don't, you know, and, and kind of forget about them, Get, turn them over to the state or, or wherever. And, and, you know, that, you know, just kind of watch, watch your hands of it. Um, and, and, and in, in these cases, the parents didn't do that, thankfully. Um, and, but they've still faced enormous challenges, you know, and, but you see them out competing on the basketball courts or the football fields or swimming and, uh, and, and, you know, besting their times from, from their last competition. And they're so committed and just keep fighting through all the obstacles that they've had in front of them that are not just on the sports field, but also in growing up and finding education and finding groups to be part of and trying to find jobs. And, and, and I've seen so much perseverance and grit, uh, from the athletes of Special Olympics that, uh, I, I, Tim Triver, my boss, the chairman, uh, says all the time, and I couldn't agree with him more. Uh, we get more than we give, uh, working with Special Olympics. It, you know, we, and thank you for your very kind words about the work I do and we do, but, but we're the lucky ones. We, those of us that work here are the lucky ones because I, I said to someone the other day, you know, the things that I've been able to see and experience with athletes, you just don't get to do that anywhere. That, that, you know, it's a, and it's so unique and it's so, uh, joyful. And, and uh, I mean, we work hard and, you know, we, we're up against, you know, the things that nonprofits are up against and, you know, the, you know, the issues of the day. But, uh, man, you see it, it and, and, and the inclusion and the, at Special Olympics, no one's excluded. You know, no, right. no one's excluded. Everyone yeah. is equal at Special Olympics. It, and, you know, in a country that's quite divided on so many lines, politically and uh, socially, uh, economically, race and 
sexual orientation and whatnot, but you go to Special Olympics and everyone's involved, everyone's welcome, everyone's equal. And I've learned that it's a model for our country and for our world. Uh, I, I just think that that if if people were involved in Special Olympics and experienced the power of Special Olympics for themselves, I, I can't imagine that one help our country and help our world um, to experience that true inclusion and acceptance of difference. How, how do we get, how can listeners get involved in Special Olympics? Ways to get involved, uh, tons of ways. So uh, volunteers, obviously, coaches, officials. Um, and, and the thing that, that, that uh, Tim Shriver has done uh, and really pushed in the years that he's been chairman is the unified sports model that, that I mentioned earlier, um, where people, and, and it doesn't have to be, uh, it's not just school age, it's, it's uh, you know, we say nine to 99 or uh, year old uh, folks uh, that play on teams, uh, bowl together, golf together, play soccer, basketball together. Uh, people with and without intellectual disabilities competing on teams together. Um, and that is, I, I think, when you when you go back to the founding of, of our organization, what Mrs. Tri- Mrs. Shriver was trying to do uh, was to, to uh, create inclusion opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. And you see it at these unified sports events where people with and without are playing together. We still have traditional uh, teams where it's all people with intellectual disabilities competing with other uh, teams, all intellectual disabilities. But this model of inclusive sports and inclusive leadership programs and whatnot, I think is truly revolutionizing and changing the way people see uh, others with intellectual disabilities. That's just like, I mean, that's what we that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people together and bridge difference and, and, and celebrate differences and that our athletes, man, are some of the grittiest people that you will meet. And, and, uh, and there's a lot to learn from our athletes and playing sports with them and interacting is, is how you'll learn it. Check us out, uh, you know, uh, specialolympics.org on, on our website, uh, that will link you to your local program. You can follow through the, the clicks of how to get involved and where, what's closest to you. You'll enjoy it. I can promise you that. Well, thank you very much, Sean. And, and to everybody listening, I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and we'll, uh, Talk to you next time on the Lessons in Leadership podcast.